I, no one was sitting in the middle section, and I think it was because everyone's scared of the camera. Don't be scared of the camera, all right? So, guys, if you're watching from at home, I just want to say welcome to you uh, watching from home and in your different grow groups. It's really cool that you could uh, tune in with us. We are working on the streaming problems, and next week we'll be doing so from a uh, slightly different platform, I hope, uh, so that we're not with the lag on Facebook and all the things that are happening at the moment. But welcome to church, and uh, welcome to you at home. It's really, really good that you could be here. So there are around about 40 people here at the moment if you're watching from at home and uh, you're participating with us as the Lord leads. Amen? Amen. So we're just we're doing our best to facilitate what the Lord's, uh, sorry, what the law is putting in place, the government with the different things around COVID-19. I uh, got to stand up here this morning and I, I might say the same thing to you. It kind of, kind of feels like a tension in the room automatically. There's a tension in the room in the sense that uh, the, the, the tension between the optimist and the pessimist, right? The, the tension is that if I'm being pessimistic, it feels like we're doing the dress rehearsal for church on Sunday. Not that we do dress rehearsals, but you know what I'm saying. But if I'm being optimistic, the, the, the really important thing is to understand that there are 40 people in the room that have made the effort to come out of their homes and to come to church. And there's probably another 100 people at home or in their different grow groups that are connecting together and, and facilitating church in their homes. And I, I, I really like, like the optimistic side of church, don't you? That we can gather together, we can have church, uh, thank God for the internet, and we can have church in many different places, and you're able to, to, to log on and stream what's going on here in your local church. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, congratulations, um, I, I saw a post just before, and I just want to reiterate that. Uh, congratulations to all the... Uh, new tele-evangelists that are launching this morning across Australia. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I thought that was pretty funny, but praise God. I want to kind of, church, I want to kind of talk to us a little bit direct today and just quite straight in a sense and just, and just speak in the sense of what the situation is we're going through. Uh, you can see up there we're, we're in the middle of March or the end of March where, where we've been doing a bit of a vision series. And today I was going to talk to us about um, vision in the context of where we are placed in our movement, the CRC, and, and uh, what, where the, the Lord's leading us in all of that and, and how we can participate in the greater vision of the CRC, both in Australia and globally. But I just felt this, this week a bit of a prompting and a bit of a shift to change that. So I've changed the title of my message to week three, Arise Church. Is that okay? Arise Church in the midst of trial. Everyone say that with me. Arise Church in the midst of trial. I hope you said that at home as well and uh, as you did so. Uh, awesome. So I just want to kind of talk a little bit straight to us and in a, in a context from Scripture because we are in unprecedented times. Is that right? Uh, and I believe Jesus is building for something quite amazing. Around the world, a virus uh, that if it wasn't for our social media platforms, uh, would not even make a rate on our on our scale like we would not even see it we would we would hear of some of the things that were going on around the world but we wouldn't necessarily be in a lockdown kind of situation because while while there, there, there can be this the concerns around a pandemic there's also many people every day dying of the stroke or dying of a heart attack or dying of this the, the, the simple influenza, um, as powerful as that virus is. And 
So we've got to understand, if it wasn't for social media, this necessarily wouldn't be. And I'm not saying don't listen to the government. I'm actually saying we need to be responsible in that. But we don't need to be living in fear of that. Is that right? So, um, so if it wasn't for social media, well, we probably wouldn't even heard of COVID-19 and uh, we wouldn't be living the way that we are. There's whole countries, though, that are being shut down, and Australia is in line with the same thing. Like the UK just shut all their schools this week. USA have shut all their schools. Australia looks like it's going to be shutting all of their schools in the, in the new, new future, however long that will be. But that's a huge impact upon society when, when that sort of thing happens. Um, it, it reminds me, just as a way, as a way of, of introduction, it reminds me of a story that we find in the Old Testament of a little lady uh, who stopped a mighty move of God by spreading fear or sowing the seed of fear. This, this, this little lady, her name was Jezebel. And I'm not talking about Jezebel today, but I want to just draw from the story what fear can do. Elijah had this amazing victory his, where he triumphed over the prophets of Baal and God Almighty reigned victorious. It was a, a mighty moment in the time of Israel, but yet this queen, this Jezebel, sowed a seed of fear in his life. She said that she was going to kill him and instantly Elijah forgot who he was representing and ran for his life in fear. That's what fear will do in your life. The enemy will try and sow in your life a seed of fear and we actually have to capture that seed just like when it starts to sprout, just like one of those dirty catheads that are growing out there in the road or on the side of the road now. If, even in your own lawn, there's catheads being planted. If you go and pull that catad out by the root, it's not going to bear fruit. Is that right? You're not going to get those ugly, horrible prickles in your lawn. It's the same thing. The enemy's trying to sow fear in your life because he wants you to run in fear and run away from God. Right? So we're not going to give the enemy a voice in this, are we? Because fear unsettles even the strongest and erodes faith if we do not quench it. The virus is being peddled through fear and we are seeing our nation panic and hoard food and supplies fearing the end. Now, I'm getting this feeling that the end may be close soon. Is that right? Who knows? Like many people in church history, we could be looking at the end of time. I don't know. But let me tell you this. The end is not going to be ushered in by a virus. I can tell you this for a fact. This is actually what I believe and, and what we teach here. That church, this is to you, I'm speaking to you, the end will come as a response to Jesus' bride standing up and shining brightly for her king and groom. It will usher in the coming of the king of glory because the full number allotted for the kingdom has come in. So you can choose to run in fear and not shine brightly for the king of, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, or you can choose to stand up and be the beautiful bride that Jesus is returning for. And that's what he's coming back for. A bride full in, in her presence of beauty, full of glory. And let me say, she's going to be a full bride. The full allotment of salvation is going to be in her. And he's going to be coming back, not for a few. I believe Jesus is coming back. 
for a multitude. Amen? Who's with me on that? We've got to understand that there is a responsibility on us today who are in the church already, who understand the hope that we have in Jesus, to begin to share that in the context of our communities because when we capture that, then Jesus will be glorified and fear will be quenched and squashed under the name of Jesus. That's our responsibility. So I want, I want you all today from, I want to talk to you all today from two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. The first one is in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 11 and 12. The second one is Romans chapter 8. And, and I want to read to you, three or four weeks ago I said, I want to read scripture over you. And I had a couple of people sitting in the front couple of rows. And they're like, yes, please, just read Scripture over me and let it minister. Well, today, I promised it, today I'm going to do it. Today, I'm going to read, to conclude the message, a passage of Scripture over your life that I believe will help you unpack the times that we're in. Are we ready for that? Yes, that's good. I've got a couple of yeses, so I think I can keep pressing on. So the first, the first is Exodus chapter 12, uh, 11 and 12, which is a, quite a timely passage of scripture when you think about it it's a time when god used a plague to bring a judgment upon the people of egypt the plague of the passover uh, is what we're going to refer to the second like i said you will be blessed and ministered to covid 19 i'm going to say this really clearly i do not believe is from god this virus has not been sent by god but I believe that God will use it because God will use all circumstances for his good and your good. We're in a prophetic age that will see us overcome. The church arise as the spotless bride and, be, and the nations of the world will come to her for the restoration of hope. Is that right? The nations will come to the church for the restoration of hope. I think that's an amazing statement right there. When you think about the situations that we're in at the moment. I was talking about being optimistic or pessimistic. Let's be optimistic for a moment. If the schools shut down and your workplace shuts down and there's no sport and there's no entertainment, there's no theatre, there's no cinema to go to, it sounds a little bit like a boring life, does it? Does it sound boring? But if we... It would be if you're a pessimist. But if you're optimistic about this, when you start to think about it from this passage and this position, all of a sudden, you're able to start to see that it's in the moment of quietness that God will begin to speak to the world. It's in the moment of this kind of uh, attack against humanity, when you look at it from a, from a situation of, um, of sickness, this attack against humanity, that God will speak... And he will speak the loudest through you and I. Which means we have to stand up and be the shining hope that we're called to be. And I know I go on about this a little bit, but I think we need to start actually implementing some stuff to make this work. If I'm sitting at home and I've got nothing to do and my brain is clear and I'm not filling it with Netflix and all those sorts of things, if I'm... If I'm honest with myself, I'm going to start asking the questions of what really matters in life. If I'm optimistic, if I'm open. And there's people in the world that as they're being closed off from society right now, they're, they're either going to go one of two ways. They're going to think life's not worth living and I pray that they're okay. Or they're going to think, what am I actually here for? 
When we silence the, the, the noise that, that's around us, God is able to speak through. One of the things that, uh, there's a study that was done, and uh, I have read this really, it wasn't recently, it was a couple of years ago, but it was in talking about um, this group of people that would get CEOs together in America, and they would take them out, um, out camping for up to a week. And it's interesting that it takes a minimum of three and a half days for them to unplug from the world to the point where they start to ask the questions that really matter. Now, if the, life, if, if the devil's got us so busy in life, how are we ever going to see people asking the questions of why on earth am I here? What am I doing with my life? Where am I going to go when this life comes to an end? All of the important questions that we... Like, honestly, people, we have one human life. One. There's no such thing as reincarnation. There's no such thing as coming back and getting a second chance. Humanity has to come to realize that we have one opportunity to make a decision of where we will spend eternity. We have one opportunity to make it right with Jesus and come into an eternity that's filled with love and grace. That's it. We've got one opportunity. And the devil's got us so caught up around the busyness of life that we're not even asking ourselves that question in church life. How are we expecting the world to ask that question? Does that make sense? So we've got to come to this place. So, so God's going to use this opportunity for his good. People are going to start to ask, why am I here? And we need to be prepared and ready for that. I was talking last week in, my, in part of the vision series around the wealth of the world transferring to the church. When the church gets the concept that money's not God, God is God, and money is a tool. I sense there will be a transferring of the world's wealth coming into the church, but it won't be for the purpose of what many think it is for. The, the church has had a history of lining its pockets, different, different groups of the church. I'm not saying all of the church, but different groups of the church church has had times in history where it's used money and power to to get influence that's not what i'm talking about but i am talking about the wealth of the world will transfer over into the church for the very reason that the church can be the church you see when the church is an abundance of money it won't know what to do with the church the church that is purely seeking god the church that is purely about their community will be trusted with that kind of wealth to be able to do the things that God's called it to do. For example, the church of old, the, the, the church of early, began hospitals and schools and, and caring for the elderly, caring for the widows, caring for the sick, feeding the poor, looking after the homeless. This all comes from the church age. Before that, there was nothing. But somewhere along the line, the church abdicated its responsibility over to the government. And now we all look to the government to help us in this situation. But I'm telling you, in the midst of this crisis, people are going to start to look to the church to help. And the church to meet its need. And the church to lead it into the kingdom of God. And that's why I say, if we've got our hearts right in this moment, we're going to see a transferring of the wealth of the world into the church and we will be able to be conduits the same way we're conduits of God's love and God's power under salvation. We will be able to see, be the conduits of God's love to be able to affect those in need. Amen?
That's when God has our focus off of our needs and on him. So let's get into this passage, Exodus uh, chapter 11. I'll read the first three verses for us. It says this. As the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and for gold and for jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. When God said he was going to liberate his people, he also restored to them their wealth. Does that make sense? This happens right here in this moment. There was a plague. It was about to come. It was the plague of the Passover, and God restores something to them. He equips them to become the nation he has called them to be. They had no lack when they left. It's interesting when you read through this account of of, of Moses is here as he approaches Pharaoh. The plague was to come on the firstborn of all, of all, even the livestock. But Pharaoh didn't listen. He hardened his heart. We're in a culture and a time right now where the world is hardening its heart to the messages of God. Completely hardened and getting away with whatever their agenda is, driving forward that, that, that it's all about me and the way I feel. But God is in the business of liberating his people and therefore freeing people from bondage and slavery. And the slavery in our time and the bondage, the greatest bondage and slavery of our time is actually the slavery under sin and death. You see, this passage speaks to us more than we think. It wasn't just to the people of Israel. God's speaking to us in this this morning. In chapter 12, I'm not going to read all of this to you, but in chapter 12, we see the institution of the Passover meal. And it points us to something that is a reality for the church today. And when we capture the reality of this, we're not, we're not no longer captured in our own bondage, but we're able to see it beyond ourselves because we are connected with the person of hope. In chapter 12, there's the discussion around choosing the lamb that you're going to have as the sacrifice. There's the discussion around taking the lamb in for you personally, for your family to get to know the lamb. For three days, three full days, the lamb was brought into the family. Then there's the instruction on how to sacrifice that lamb, how to use the blood of that lamb to paint across the posts and the, and, and the, and the lintel of the house. Why? Because when the paint was across the lintel of the house, the angel of death would pass over the house and the people inside would be spared. Not based upon the way someone acts, the way someone was, is treated, or the way someone was born. It was about the fact that the angel saw the blood and therefore the people inside were protected. It's not about works. It's not about anything else other than the blood of the lamb. Is that right? So the question comes, do we understand the blood of the lamb for us today? Do we understand 
that we must partake of the meal that Jesus provided for us, which is what we take when we have communion. Do we actually understand that now the Bible calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit and as individuals there is a responsibility for us to see that the Lamb's blood is painted over our very lives and our heart, our spirit. That without the personal responsibility of saying yes to Jesus, my heart is open and exposed to the judgment that will come upon all humans. But when the blood of the Lamb, the acceptance of what Jesus did for me in his sacrifice at the cross, when that comes upon my life and it becomes a reality and the doorposts of my life, the heart is painted with the blood of Christ, all of a sudden I am connected not just with a great story, but I'm connected with the person of hope. We're living in a hopeless time. The world doesn't understand hope because hope is a person. His name is Jesus. If every one of you sitting in here today, my heart would be, if every one of you listening online, even as you're watching what is going on, as God is speaking to your heart, you need to understand that Jesus died upon the cross for you. Let's look at verse 11 really quickly in chapter 12. It says this, In this manner you shall eat it, this is the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. That means eat it hurriedly. Okay? It is the Lord's Passover. There is a meal. This is the Passover, the meal that Jesus had with his disciples the eve before he died. So take particular note of that and think about that later on as we get to that point. Right now, what would be called Passover is only a few weeks away. We know it in the West as Easter, but, but for the Jewish calendar it was Passover. It's only a few weeks away. It's almost Easter time and we're about to celebrate this, this very fact, the victory of Jesus Christ over death and sin. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and he said take of this eat of this bread it is my body and when he said drink of this cup it is my blood which is shed he was instituting something that links this story in Exodus with us as the church he institutes something that says what I am about to do is to be remembered every time you meet or every time you think of me every time it's to remember something what are we remembering? We're remembering that on that Friday, which we call Good Friday, Jesus died upon the cross. He died in the way God prescribed for him, in the way that the sacrifice was be made, that his blood would be spilt and shed for the forgiveness and the remission of sin. Who's happy about that? Yes, absolutely. But that's not the end of the story. You see, the Bible tells us that death has no sting. Where is your sting, O death? You see, Jesus... He not only ascended on high, but first he descended. He, he, he met death right on and death had no dominion over him. Death had no power. Death had no authority over him because death and the grave could not hold him because he was sinless. While he took our sin upon himself and he buried it deep in the earth, his own life, the sacrificial lamb of God, saw that death had no sting 
and he raised victorious on that third day. Today, we celebrate the very fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death in our life. Now, that's a hope-filled message, if ever I haven't heard one before. Without that message, we would all be sitting here in a panic like everyone else. In these times of testing for the church, we need to be open to the lead. As we lead up to the Passover, this time is actually about cleansing. This time for us is actually about seeing leaven eradicated from the people. Leaven in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament is referred to as two different ways. First of all, it's referred to as sin. And second of all, it's referred to the way that the kingdom of God is to advance throughout the whole world. The same way that you would put yeast or leaven into bread to see it rise and to see it permeate the whole lump is the same way that sin has permeated every person of this world. But you see, Jesus is victorious over sin, is he not? But if we're going to talk about sin, then we actually have to see the leaven of the church driven out first. Last week we had many of us repent in certain areas in our own life. But what gets classically brought out in this time when we're looking at droughts and we're looking at the way that people need to pray and all those sorts of things is this passage of scripture, 2 Chronicles 7. I mentioned it last week, but I put it up here for us all to see today. It says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, that pestilence is actually referring to like things like COVID-19. Like I said, I don't believe God sent this, but he's allowed it. Verse 14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Doesn't that sound like a great promise of God? So it's talking to the people of God. It's talking to you and I. While it was talking to the people of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, it's also referring to you and I. And this one gets dragged out all the time. And I tell you what, there are many pastors out there that don't like seeing this dragged out because they're like, what are you talking about? My church is not living in sin. We're free from sin. Jesus has conquered the sin. But I shared with us last week, I think there's a, a passage that goes along with it, and that's the Malachi 3 passage. Because of the link there when you see when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Malachi talks about, test me in the giving of the tithe. Bring into the storehouse. He's saying, test me because you've been sinning. Now stop robbing me. Bring in the tithe. Bring it in. And he says, and I will open up the windows of blessing, the windows of heaven over your life. This is a parallel with one another. So when I talk about these things, there are things in the church that we just allow to happen or we go about or we try and justify in certain ways. But I tell you, when we repented of that thing last week, which was robbing God, I'm telling you there was something that was powerful that broke in the spirit over this place. And I th I'm telling you that within this context, God is opening up the windows of heaven. And it's not to line our pockets. It's not to make us look good. It's not to make us powerful. But it's to present the gospel in every way that we can with no hindrance. When God opens up the heavens, it's not just to, bring drought, uh, to break drought over the land. It's to break drought over the spiritual scenery. And to break the drought over that and to see an abundant harvest reaped for the kingdom of God. But you can't separate 
Because repentance is not just saying sorry, is it? Repentance requires an action. Repentance actually means to turn away from that which is opposing God and turn unto God in the ways that He's requiring and asking of us. So church, we need to be repentant in our heart and be open to the things and the leading of the Spirit of God. We can't do repentance just by saying sorry. And it's when the church repents, when it turns back to the ways of God, that she will be a bright and shining bride. Are you with me on that? So leading up to what will be a significant Passover, I believe, and I hope you're standing with me and praying with me, that COVID-19, coronavirus, will be dead in the water by Easter time, Passover this year. We have to be praying and believing this. But it's not just praying, say, God, you do your bit. It's actually saying, God, I'm going to do my bit in my repentance as well. That I'm going to be about your business. And there's, not, there's, there's no better time than now when things are starting to get quiet in your life for you to start pressing into God and understanding what he's saying to you through scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't get distracted by all the other things in this world, but focus in on what God is saying because he wants to return for a full bride. Glorious, amen? Some of, the, some of the prominent prophets around the world are starting to talk in ways that I haven't heard them talk before. And one of the ways that they're saying is that there's going to be a, a reckoning upon the world right about now. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's interesting that this is the way that they're talking at the moment. That a reckoning is coming upon the world. And... Uh, I think, I think there's a sense in all of this that it's not going to be long before we start to see God separating the sheep from the goats. And for the church, we need to be aware and awake. It's not the separation that we have to be distant from these people. It's a separation that we will begin to understand the difference. That the way I follow Jesus is completely opposite to the way that you're doing life. The way that the Lord God's leading me is completely different to the way the Lord's leading or the, the way you're living your life. And it will start to become clear, not for judgment's sake and not for this place of judging them and saying you're doing it wrong, but because they are understanding for the first time in their life that they are without hope, you will see that because you will meet that need and bring hope into their life. Does that make sense? That, that God's going to separate the sheep from the goats to make it clear for us who are sheep and who are goats. And if their goats are sitting in the churches, then they're going to be living in a hopeless state and we're going to be able to see the goats and we're going to be able to encourage them and lead them and pray with them and bring them into the place of hope, the same hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as the church gets herself right and beautifies herself in that area, I tell you what, that will open up and spill out into the streets. It'll spill out into your homes. It'll spill out into the different things. And you will see the church become the hope of the nations. Amen? I think this is what God's leading us in. Chapter 12, and verse 29 to 32, continues this way. This is in the book of Exodus. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captives, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, 
and there was a cry in the land of Egypt. This this amazing cry and 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 and, and grief that came from Pharaoh and those in the land, it brought them to this place of just utter devastation. And they knew nothing but the loss of what they had just encountered. Could you imagine losing your firstborn like this across the nation? But it really gets me what says here right at the end. Verse 32, Pharaoh says to Moses, Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. But I've never seen this one before. This little bit as it finishes this sentence. Because that's not the end of the sentence. Pharaoh didn't just send them out. He said this, And bless me also. That's a powerful statement. He has just gone through the loss of his firstborn son. Every firstborn male in the house of Pharaoh was gone uh, from servants right through to the king. Lost. And he says... In this, you bless me as you go, there's a, there's a sin there that he understood that the God of Israel was the God who, who was almighty and was able to bless in this time of grief and sorrow. This is what the world will do when the church stands up. Because God has already made it available through Jesus Christ for the world to be blessed. But the carrier of this blessing is you and I, the church global. As we capture and understand who God is in this time, we will have people coming to us saying, please bless me. They will see who God is by the way you live. They will see who God is by the way you carry yourself and the way the things that you say and the hope that you have as you are the light in this time. Wouldn't it be awesome, the kings and the governors and the people of your neighborhood and all that sort of stuff just coming to you and saying, bless me also. Wouldn't that be cool? So out of tragedy, God is still able to use his people to witness about his goodness. And you think that your life's been limited because your life's not good or you're struggling in a particular area or you're going through a sickness, or you're financially struggling, or whatever it might be in your life. You might be having marriage difficulties, or whatever. But in the midst of your trial, God is still able to show himself as good and use you to bless someone else. Isn't that a unique and beautiful position to be in? This is who we are. It is here that I want to address you directly. And even to those tuning in on, on our live stream today. Do you know Jesus? Do you actually know Jesus? Or is what you do just what you've been taught to do? If you know Jesus, in this moment you will be filled with hope as you tune in to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
you will understand the power of the blood to wash you and cleanse you of your all guilt and shame. There is no hope without Jesus. None. Without Jesus, my life is worthy of being thrown in the fire like chaff. Without Jesus, I have nothing. You agree with me? This is the only thing that will bring you peace in your current circumstance. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. As we're leading up to Passover, I need to ask you this. If you want an encounter with Jesus, the God of peace right now, I want to make an opportunity right now for those of you sitting in this room to want to know that when you die, you will spend an eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Those of you that are listening online, Jesus died for you so that you can be called a son or a daughter of God Most High. He has promised that if you would follow him and lay your life down for him, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, and he will lead you and usher you in to the kingdom of God. So when this body fails and I die, I have a sure and certain hope that I don't die, that my life goes on with Jesus even after death. There is nothing else in this world that I have found that causes me to live in hope like this one decision to say yes to Jesus. Before I go on, I want to offer this. If you would like to say yes to Jesus right now and invite him to be your God and your Lord and your Savior and to wash you clean of every sin and every guilt that you have committed past, present and future, stand to your feet right now. Thank you, Jesus. Even at home, you're listening, if you've tuned into the live stream, if you want the surety that you're going to a place that we call heaven, that you're going to be in the presence of God forever and ever, where there is nothing but love, stand to your feet in your homes right now. Step out of your car and stand up and watch it on the phone somewhere else. Just stand up and make a choice to say yes unto Jesus. Church, would you just give you one more opportunity is there anyone else that does that is sick and tired of following what you've been told in the past and you just say yes i want the hope and the peace that my pastor's talking about i just want to accept jesus today last and final call would you like to stand to your feet thank you jesus thank you brother thank you brother thank you sister the angels in heaven are cheering with you thank you brother the angels in heaven, the cloud of witnesses are cheering with you today. Thank you, brother. God bless you. I am so happy right now. I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart because the Lord, His gospel is powerful. Amen? And He'll pierce even through the hearts. Brothers and sisters, step forward out the front with me today. You're bold enough to stand in your seat. You're bold enough to say yes to Jesus and come out the front. We're going we're gonna to pray with our brothers and sisters right now.
If you, church, would like to extend your hand to them, just extend your hand to them in faith as we pray for them. I'd love to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. Some of you might be doing this for the first time, and I commend you on that. So others might be just saying, you know what, I've just my life has not been the where it needs to be, and I want to restore hope, and that's okay. But would you pray with me as we lead you in this prayer right now? Father God, repeat after me. Father God, I admit that I am a sinner, and I am in need of a saviour. I believe that Jesus came into the world and he died upon the cross for me. That he paid the price for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me now. Wash away my sin. Lift off me my guilt and shame. And replace it with your love and mercy and grace. Jesus, I give my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Give me the Holy Spirit as a seal of my salvation. And I thank you that I am your child. I thank you for your saving grace. And I say I live for you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together, church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord bless you. You may take your seats. Pastor Jamie's going to catch up with you straight after the service, okay? He wants to talk to you and he wants to encourage you. And I know that he wants to give you a Bible because you know you can't live this life without walking and reading the Bible, amen? That is such an amazing thing, that when we are able to preach hope, we're able to see victory come, and we're able to see lives saved. God bless you all in that. You see, this is what happens when you preach hope, people. This is what happens when the church becomes the church, and that we don't get fearful of a virus, but we understand that Jesus is able to conquer all. He overcomes every sin. He overcomes every sickness and disease. Amen? He overcomes even your poverty in your life. Why? Because you've invited Him in to be your Lord and your Savior. You haven't just said, you haven't just said, forgive me of my sins. You've said, I surrender my life to you. Isn't that amazing? The life that you now have is the life that is set apart unto God. Oh, you guys are going to be so blessed when I read Romans 8 over you guys. Oh, come on. It's so good. See, out of tragedy, God is able to do amazing and abundant things. Man, I could go on for hours now. I'm pumped. I'm moving on. It's okay. People need hope. Amen? Come on. You see, when we put the things of God right, when we put the things of God first in our life, I want to talk to you just really quickly about this passage of Scripture. There's God, Christ is our Passover. The blood of the Lamb is now over the lintel of your heart. Praise God for that. I just want to just quickly talk to you about this. It's just a, a re-discussion re about last week. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and then go down to the bottom there. 
And, uh, and it just talks about in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that interesting? When we put the things of God first, and we follow not from duty, but because of relationship, what God says, we put into place those practices, not because I'm told to, not because it's law, but because it's actually freedom in the new covenant. All of a sudden, we're opened up to an amazing blessing that God promises. Who doesn't want the devourer rebuked from their home? Who doesn't want the pestilence rid from their home? You know, who doesn't want to put veggies in the ground and have them, have them grow without having to spray all sorts of things to get rid of the pestilence? I want that. God wants you to put first things first and let him worry about the rest. Amen? When we put this right, when we put it right, God gets it right in our life every time. I need to talk to you about this. I mentioned it in the reading about eating the, the meal in haste. Do you remember I said that? When they ate in the Passover, eat the meal in haste. It, says the, it, it said this, with your belt fastened around your waist and your shoes shod, ready to go, right? So they were to eat the meal at twilight, eat the meal with their belt on, which meant that they weren't relaxed, that they had their clothes on and their belt, and they had their shoes on ready to leave Egypt. Right? So you guys that came up and gave your life to Jesus, you got your belt on and you got your shoes on because you've just partaken of the Passover lamb. His name is Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Paul uses an analogy that we often talk about from a spiritual warfare point of view. But let me tell you in this context what I get from this passage. The belt fastened, Paul likens it to the belt of truth. Right? The belt of truth, which the Bible reveals to us in the New Testament that Jesus is the person of truth. In fact, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through Him. So when you encounter someone who's looking for hope, you're not to fulfill their hope. You can't be their hope filler. The only one that can fill their hope is Jesus Christ. Is that right? Because He's the way to the Father. And when you understand that, then you are able to fasten around yourself the belt of truth. And that, then the Bible says, Jesus is the truth. So when you've got the belt fastened, you're already leaning into the fact that Jesus is the answer for this person's problem. And when you lead that person to life, who is Jesus, like you guys, eternal life, thinking about that, there is no life but by Jesus. Instantly you connect them with the person of hope. Hope not in this world, but hope that is found in the kingdom of God. The second one is the sandals on your feet. We are to be shod, as Paul would write, with the gospel of peace. Is that right? The gospel of peace. I have found the more of the gospel I am prepared to share, the more at peace that I am. Do you know that? 
The more of the gospel I am prepared to share, the more at peace I am. I'm talking to the church now. Many of us are battling the enemy. We've got a shield of faith and we've got a sword of the Spirit that's the Word of God. But we've got one thing amiss. Our feet don't wear the sandals of the gospel of peace. And the enemy knows it. So if you want to walk in peace, if you want to see the fullness of that passage of Scripture open in your life, what has to take place is the active sharing of the gospel of peace everywhere you go. That you are called to be a change agent into your community and when you are set at peace with God, your feet have sandals on them and no thorn is going to get in your feet and you're able to walk up to someone and share peace with that person. And I've always found when I've gotten over my own stinking thinking, when I've gotten over my own mess that says that I'm fearful of sharing the gospel, when I step into it, I encounter peace. Why? Because the word of God rings true every time. We are trying to battle an enemy on his terms when all we have to do is walk in the peace of grace. The more we share the gospel, the more at peace we are. Praise God for that, eh? God is not condemning the world, but he will allow this to play out because people need a shock. People need a wake-up. People need hope to fill the void where there is no hope. I want to ask you all to close your eyes, even those of you at home. I promised that I would read scripture over you. But I also believe that I'm not preaching to you now, but I'm ministering the word of God over your life. So my sermon is ended, and our ministry time is right now. You don't need me to lay hands on you to pray for you. But if you would position your heart to listen to the truth of the word, the Holy Spirit will minister to you, possibly like he has never done before. You will hear things of what I've already said in what I'm about to say in this passage of scripture. It will go off in your thinking and you'll go, wow. One verse will leap off or leap out at you and it will, it will hit you square and you'll say, that's my verse this week. And it will keep coming back to you. That one verse will keep coming back to you and it will minister to you and it will break the chains of fear that hold you back. This passage in Romans 8 is one of the most profound passages that I think you will ever read and I would encourage you to read it this week every day. But right now, let me minister the word of God to you as the Holy Spirit can touch your heart like no other can. Just get a quick Open your hearts. Allow the Lord to open up something with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For some of you, that's Papa, Daddy. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Hallelujah. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many believers or many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people said, Amen. You see, the power of Scripture, as you read it over your life, the Holy Spirit will set you free. If you'd like to stand to your feet today as we close in prayer, let me pray for you, church. At home, if you'd like to stand around the table or around the lounge room, that would be wonderful as well. Let me pray for you, church. You see, the secret... The secret that some of the world has understood when it comes to the church, some of the church in the world has understood, is that their life belongs to God and they are to be poured out like an offering under Him. So when people stand before someone who wants to take their life, they remember that they are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved them. Neither death nor life can separate you 